Hey Tally, how are you? I'm really good, how are you? Really good, thanks for coming around today. It's a pleasure, I feel we live in the same neighbourhood, so it's really nice to meet a neighbour. <laughs> yeah, everyone else is in West London, we're over here doing nothing. I know, but actually we're just saying it's a very up and coming area, yeah. really enjoy living in East London. Um, yeah, very good vibes around here. Yeah, I just worry sometimes I'm not as trendy as I need to be to live around here. But yeah. yeah, everyday imposter syndrome living in East London. <laughs> oh, amazing. So I'd love for you to introduce yourself to our listeners. So, yeah, my name's Tally. Um, I am a personal trainer by trade. I've been a personal trainer for five years now. Um, and I've been working in London that whole time. And through that period, I've gone through kind of a personal and professional evolution in that time. So at the beginning of my fitness journey, which started obviously before I wanted to become a personal trainer, I discovered exercise and became quickly obsessed with it and quickly obsessed with food and you know wanting to do it perfectly to have the perfect body as an outcome um, and so that was really how I became really focused um, on fitness and I do believe I've discovered a true passion because I even though my thoughts and feelings on fitness have evolved to now there's always been a deep passion in there I think um, to enjoy moving my body and to use it as a practice of self-care even though at times perhaps it may have been more punishment than care. So I think, um, yeah, over the past five years, I've had this real transition from being a very calorie focused, progress picture focused, image focused, ultimately fitness trainer, and also as a, you know, a fitness person myself, to kind of moving into what I like to call like a weight inclusive approach, where we no longer focus on what the body looks like or what the body weighs, but it's really about how movement and exercise can make you feel and how you basically ditch diet culture, which I'm sure we'll get into, and um, really learn to use movement and exercise and fitness as a whole as a way of caring for yourself, um, nourishing your body um, and in the process it's all about building up trust with your body. Amazing, awesome. I think we need more of you. <laughs> People when they hear personal trainer or they hear fitness influencer or any mm. of those kind of terms immediately think of before and after photos, hitting the gym eight times a week, you know, mm. training two times a day, doing lots of hit and a lot of people, I guess, are attracted to that because they think it's going to give them a sense of confidence or a sense of happiness. What did you discover along your way from going from the extreme version of, you know, being obsessed with exercise and how you looked to now? Like, what were the revelations along the way for you about those feelings you were seeking? So it's really interesting. So before, um, so in a previous kind of life, um, I left school and went to drama school. And before that, I didn't do any sport at school. I was not sporty at all. Um, so to people I went to school with, it, it's kind of kind of shocked that I work in fitness now. Um, but when I got to drama school, that's when I really became interested in changing my body and getting fit and strong. Um, and a lot of that was to do with me feeling out of control in an environment that felt overwhelming. Um, I used it as a, a way of coping really with that time in my life. I was there through drama school process for about five years and it's a very intense process. But it's interesting because as a teenager, because I didn't do sport or anything, I've never been on a diet before. I was never really focused on my body. I was aware it wasn't what it wasn't up to the standards that other people were. And, you know, I, I did feel like, you know, oh, 
you know if I did that then my body would change and maybe more people would fancy me or more you know I'd be more desirable but I could never be bothered to do anything about it so I wasn't too hung up on what my body looked like and it's really interesting to me that the more I really decided to like write this is it I'm going to get the body of my dreams and I'm going to go after it and the more I became intensely focused on my body the more I thought about it and actually the harder it became and I'd say one of my lowest points was um, a few years into kind of my fitness journey maybe like two or three years and I wanted to do a photo shoot with the girl gains who are two girls that I now host a podcast with called Fit and Fearless and at the time this was at the birth of girl gains and we were starting our website and we decided we needed to do a fitness photo shoot um, for imagery for our website and I spent that whole summer meal prepping and training hard and dieting and really not seeing any results and putting all this time and energy as well as trying to this is my first year of being a personal trainer so as well as trying to establish myself within an industry and working any hours I could get, I was also trying to change and manipulate my body. And I got to that shoot and, you know, by most people's standards, I would have probably had a fairly fitspo body. And this was a very, this was something to desire. You know, I, I was supposed to be aspirational and I got to that shoot and I just compared myself to the other girls and I really felt so low and I just wanted to cry because I put myself through so much and what I felt like, it didn't make a difference and I still wasn't good enough. So whereas before as a teenager, I didn't have strong feelings about my body. Whereas the more I focused on it supposedly to empower me, the less empowered I felt and the more um, comparison I experienced and the more I felt less than. And so it's been like a steady process of like unpacking that over the last kind of four years and, you know, realizing that you know, my worth does not lie in what I look like. And actually my worth is in who I am. And that is the most important thing. Unfortunately, I think the fitness industry, because it's so closely aligned with diet culture and the diet industry, it doesn't seek to make profit from making you realize it's not about what you look like, it's who you are. Um, they make a lot of profit over making you feel like you're not good enough already. So I just felt like, yeah, being in the industry at that time, like, my insecurities were just um yeah being profited from mm, so true and I think people are looking for something when they do start a fitness journey often you know they're looking to feel better about themselves they're looking to feel energized they're looking to be happy or to feel safe or to have some control if they've got a stressful lifestyle mm. but when the focus is purely on your body which is going to change throughout your entire life mm. especially as a woman mm. because we were designed that way mm-hmm. it's such a disempowering position to be in because you're f- constantly fighting and resisting against something that wants to change exactly um and yeah so i i've written a book called train happy and one of the key themes in that i say is like let's give up the war with your body and stop fighting it and start work working with it and i think i also just want to go back to what you were saying about you know when you're trying to go on an empowering journey and you think that the happiness will lie in the after photo in the transformation you know that changing your body is going to be what you need to succeed um because that's what you, that's what we've been marketed that that's mm. the marketing strategy of of diet culture and so we do believe that you know happiness at, you know lies at the end of the dieting rainbow um because we see these um these almost like cherry picked people online as an example 
seem to have you know this dramatic before and after and then look at their lives now they're so incredible aren't they doing amazing things but in reality those people are disproportionately represented in comparison to the amount of people who have tried diets they haven't worked and they end up just feeling worse about themselves yeah and i mean i can't remember what the current statistic is but it's something ridiculous about you know 90 percent or something yeah. of people who diet gain the weight back or more and what's really interesting that's looking at the research and what's most interesting about that is when when people are publishing research about whether diets work or not you have to remember that most of the dieting protocols they've used in the research are the best available options. So you will have the best dietitians, the best trainers, psychologists, people will have teams of people to get them the weight loss and, you know, in, in theory to keep it off. And even though we're seeing the best results possible, we still have such a high failure rate of yet yeah, of upwards, um, kind of upwards of 80 to 90. Some people even report 95% of, um, diets fail because of weight regain after three to five years so people will experience initial weight loss that's that that's you know um likely but what the bit that we don't have an answer to is how do we sustain that without engaging in disordered eating without um over exercising without having a bad relationship with our bodies over you know that past that three-year period past that four five six seven eight nine ten year period we don't have a long-term answer and that is why I decided to finding out all this stuff was really like the nail in the coffin of me deciding do you know what I can't work in that way anymore to in, encourage that intentional weight loss when I can't guarantee a long-term outcome so that was really like a, a pivotal moment for me to really say no I I think there's a different way yeah, for sure. I was reading recently in a Facebook group, this girl who had been weighed by her trainer and she gained a bit of weight. I think she drank a lot of water that day and he was being hard on her and she was asking in this forum whether she thought she was overreacting because she was really upset and everyone was like, yeah, you're overreacting, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, it, it must be like quite a tough choice or it requires a bit of, you know, integrity to stand by being a weight neutral, weight inclusive trainer because obviously a very attractive commercially viable mm. option is to be someone who weighs and shows those before and afters on their page or on their website or whatever. Yeah. And I think that that's the easy way, the route to go because that's what is taught. So I don't blame any trainers for doing that because um, if they don't have the other education in terms of why that isn't effective in the long term, then you almost don't have an informed choice to make. You just assume that that's what people do to be successful in fitness. And I think that's why in fitness as well, I'm really passionate about giving that education to trainers on why there is a high failure rate of why that, that kind of 12 week transformation kind of package is harming people and isn't viable in the long term. And so I don't like to blame people for choosing those options. I get frustrated that people haven't been presented all the options to make an informed decision about. And so I think part of it is increasing education from like, you know, early on. And also um, rather than constantly calling people out for maybe doing things differently to how I would choose to do them, you know, use that as an opportunity to call in and say, hey, have you read this article or this book or, you know, this, listen to this podcast and, you know, I think it'd be really interesting to hear your thoughts on this. Um, and, you know, if you're interested in weight loss, I think you might also be interested in weight science. And so looking at it that way and, and starting a conversation that way rather than, 
immediately dismissing someone. It's really interesting because it's this kind of topic is having such a moment in the fitness space right now, particularly online. I think there's a strong anti-diet community and there's a strong weight loss community and there's a lot of butting heads. And I think it's really hard because these people who believe in weight loss and believe what they're doing is right, you know, have years and years probably invested into this practice. And so it's really hard to, um, you know, reflect upon what you're doing and think about what you're doing and decide that, oh, maybe, maybe that isn't the best choice for people. I think that's really hard. And I think that's where the resistance comes. Yeah. I mean, if you've built a business and your livelihood depends on that and say you've got weight loss in your name, mm. in your business name, mm. it's, it's harder to take it. It's a, hard to get you turn, right? <laughs> yeah. Mm. And it's hard to look at that objectively because you've got so much emotional ties, financial ties mm. to that. But yeah, I, th- I think it's, it's great though that you do adopt that theory of calling in rather than calling out because I think there's a lot of calling out going on right now, particularly um, on Instagram, in the fitness world, Um, just a real kind of polarity of views coming head to head all the time. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering where's the middle ground right now? Is there a middle ground between being anti-diet culture but maybe wanting to lose a bit of weight? Like, I think a lot of people are confused about this as well because yeah. they're so inspired mm. by anti-diet culture and they've gone that way where they're like angry about it. But then they're like, well, I still do want to lose weight, but is that wrong? So yeah. what are your thoughts on weight loss whilst not, I guess, engaging in the whole um, diet culture that's around us? I think it's hard because like you said, we are swimming in diet culture. I like to think of it as a sea that we're swimming in and swimming against the tide of something is really, really hard. And maybe sometimes it's literally about treading water in the middle and just keeping your head above water and just thinking like, okay, I just, you know, I can survive this. Um, Wanting to lose weight in swimming in that sea of diet culture is totally normal and is nothing to feel ashamed of. And like I said, there should be no guilt or shame in that um, desire as a kind of weight inclusive trainer, like I said before, knowing the research that I do and understanding how intentional weight loss in the long term is has such a high failure rate, I can't promote or actively encourage intentional weight loss from for me really from an ethical perspective, because I don't, like I said, I don't have that long-term solution and we just don't have that long-term solution in Australia they have um, said that the research showing how, sh- how uh, likely weight regain is after an, an attempt of weight loss is a grade A, which compare that to the research for smoking causes cancer. So they know they are just as sure that you will gain weight after weight loss as they are that smoking causes cancer, is, as that's how they graded it in Australia. So when you come at it from that perspective, you're like, I totally get that losing weight provides potentially an easier existence if you're living in a larger body it is hard to exist in a larger body and weight loss is a way of coping is a way of um you know you want to be accepted i also think that we closely relate weight to health as well so there's that there's that um perspective as well and once again the the kind of research kind of shows us that we don't know for sure that weight is an absolute direct impact on health. There are correlations, but there are not necessarily totally clear causations in some cases. So I think 
that's something to discuss with a doctor. And also I would really recommend um, reading the book Body Respect by Linda Bacon and Lucy Afremore for a better, more in-depth look at that kind of weight science and the health argument because they know it far better than I do. Um, but I think there's all those factors that come into it. So it's a case of, you know, weight loss to be accepted, um, weight loss for health. And so I get that those would be desires. But as you know, like I said, we can't offer this long term solution. For some people, I think they may need to go and do that one more diet to know that it truly doesn't work. You know, it's almost like hitting that rock bottom and thinking, you know, okay, I tried. And when we look at intuitive eating, which is the framework by Evelyn Tribley and Elise Resch, which is about creating a really healthy, intuitive, obviously, <laughs> relationship with food, um, the first step is about rejecting the diet mentality putting weight loss on the back burner to heal your relationship with food. And th there are many people who sit in that first kind of step and are like, but there might be one more try. There might be one more. Um, and it's okay to think like that. That's part of the process. And I think it's just having self-compassion um, and doing what you need to do um, because, you know, you might need to just find this out yourself. So like, I believe in body autonomy and choosing what's best for your body. And ultimately, I think it's about making informed choices. So from a weight inclusive perspective, you know, I'll explain kind of both sides of the argument. And then it's up to a person to make a choice. And I think it's an individual's choice to make. And it's not for me to judge. Mm, absolutely. I think as well, you know, it can depend on your motivation too. Mm. If your motivation is, I want to lose a, a few kilos because I want to run up after my kids with the football, mm. you know, and I'm puffed at the moment. Mm. I can't do that. Maybe that's really positive because you're looking to something that's really important to you and it's part of your values. And I want to add to that actually. Um, so in the kind of weight inclusive perspective, I should also add, it's not anti-weight loss ever. It's not like your body can never change because it, it may well do. Um, but it's anti that like pursuit of weight loss because like I said we don't know if we've got a long-term way of doing it that's safe so I find it really interesting there's a few like little memes on the internet where they say we give weight loss so much credit for improving our health but we don't consider that the health behaviors we engaged in to um you know lose weight have actually improved our health so for example that might be like you said increasing your activity um drinking more water getting more sleep um making taking more time for self-care in different ways whether that's you know reading a book um or uh playing more because i think we just need to play more especially as adults um you know and you know trying to make nutritious choices that you know nourish your body but you also have to nourish your soul with all the food you love as well so i think it's like you said you know if you really if you want to um make a change to so you can play with your grandkids or so you can go on a massive hike on holiday or something. You know, there's like a big reason or you want to do a charity race or something. Um, as a weight inclusive trainer, I would say, hey, we can still work on getting you fit and stronger and, you know, potentially healthier um, by engaging in these behaviors rather than weight loss might not necessarily be, might be a byproduct, might not be a byproduct. It's, it, it's very individual. Yeah, like I, I get that as a motivation and I, and I think it's about, like I said, we're giving weight loss a bit too much credit and actually by starting to, you know, exercise regularly and, you know, eat more vegetables and all those things, they're the things that are making us actually feel better. Totally, totally. And 
you touched on something interesting there. There's a lot of, I guess, correlation or assumed correlation that I definitely see on the internet a lot of people saying, well, if you're this size, then you're not healthy and mm. that's it. And the thing that I think about is, well, if there are lots of really conventionally thin people who can eat whatever the fuck they want and smoke and take drugs and all of that stuff and stay the same, is it not true then that somebody who is in a, in a larger body could be eating really healthy and moving and be really strong and, you know, have great blood work and their weight can remain there. So people tend to think it can work one way, but not the other way. And I think it's just so important for people to know there's not like something wrong with you if you're in a larger body and you, you're engaging in healthy behaviors mm. and you feel good. It's about how you feel. And exactly that. I think we don't, we don't argue with people over their shoe size. Or we don't argue with people over how tall they are, but we really love to argue with people and tell people they're wrong by the different shape of their bodies and how, what weight they are. But I think if we accept that like humans are going to come in all shapes and sizes. And I always use the analogy of dog breeds. You see, like think how many dog breeds there are in the world and you get like the little sausage dogs and then you get like, you know, really skinny greyhounds and then you get um, huge St. Bernard's, you know, you get all types of dogs. And we would never tell a dog it was wrong for being a um, sausage dog or being a St. Bernard's. You just accept that that's how they are. You just accept that that's their existence. And I think it's the same in humans. I think there's, you know, because we talk about, um, we have a lot of like health fear mongering in press, in media, we have learned that this type body type is wrong and this body type is right. And we're making judgments based purely on appearance. And I think in the case of like the Tess Holiday Cosmopolitan cover, exactly what you said, people were there saying, she's promoting obesity, she's promoting, you know, poor health. And, you know, we have no idea what she does. We have absolutely no idea how she chooses to live her life every single day. The same way we don't know how Kate Moss chooses to live her life every day. But we don't make comments about, um, Kate Moss being on the cover but we do make comments about a larger person being on the cover and that's because th like diet culture has perpetuated this fear of fatness and because we do associate it with poor health and laziness and um, unhappiness and you know people who are bigger you know are unlovable and not worthy and those things are a lie Th those are lies created by diet culture to keep us focus on our bodies um, and trying to focus on keeping us small. Whereas really we've got to let people be the size they're meant to be. Um, and the more we keep interfering, like, you know, we said, the more you keep fighting your body and the more we keep interfering with it with diets, the more we're going to like body that's not going to be how it wants to be. Um, and so I really believe in that building a connection with your body and building an intuitive relationship with food and intuitive relationship with exercise um, because those things are working with you. And then when you're working with your body, your body will kind of settle to where it needs to be and where you thrive at. But I think we just need to accept that people thrive at different sizes. Some people are going to thrive um, a, a smaller size. Some people are going to thrive somewhere in the middle and some people are going to thrive at a larger size, but it is not our place to decide what those people are going to thrive. I think we just have to respect that bodies are smart. They know what they can, they know what to do. Mm, totally agree. And I find it really interesting that people are so passionate about shaming people for being in a bigger mm. body, you know, like you said, with that cover, she was just on a cover and 
immediately she's just showing her body immediately people you know have something to say about that i do also think you know there's something in there as well about like the right that we think we have to comment on women's bodies as opposed to men yes but something that i wanted to ask you about obviously recently there's been a lot of conversation around fat shaming um in the media in Mm -hmm. social media there's two very different camps um in this conversation Mm -hmm. what do you think about that do you think that it is right to, well, I, I, know, <laughs> I know you don't think it's right, but I, um, you know, what do you think about people who say we should shame people and it will actually make them behave differently around food? What are your thoughts? Well, I think we've been shaming people for, you know, the last 50 years and it hasn't made the slightest bit of difference because um, people are feel more alienated and less willing to take steps to self-care um and i think yeah that whole fat shaming argument is so flawed we are not going to get anywhere by pushing people away and i'm really passionate about particularly within the fitness space making it feel more welcoming more inclusive and making people feel more represented because right now we have in fitness we have a very clear look of what fitness looks like and so we have that slim white thin body lean in the men's side you have very lean super muscular guys and a lot of people feel intimidated by that and I think therefore they feel a lot of shame in going to a class or being in a gym environment because people feel like everyone's staring at them because they don't fit this mold we have fat shaming but we also have um in the kind of medical sense we have weight stigma um and I think body shaming of any kind is awful and that doesn't matter what size your body is. That's particularly awful. Um, but weight stigma is, um, is for all bodies, but really it's about people particularly living in larger bodies who don't, uh, receive the same medical treatment, um, Mm -hmm. because they're going to the doctors with, um, a pain in their elbow and being prescribed weight loss and not getting the same, um, services that a person in a thin body would have. Because as you said before, we just make assumptions about what that, what a person's health status is based on what they look like um and so i believe that there's kind of crossover in these two things and you know fighting weight stigma is particularly important because i think we can get people in a healthier position when they're given when they're treated better and they're they're not receiving abuse for starters because the effects on mental health that that has are you know terrible but when we're giving people equal access to healthcare as a whole um, and taking their, you know, ailments seriously and getting people, you know, the scans and everything that they need, um, we can treat people quicker and they can, you know, therefore be healthier. It's really sad. There's a lot of stories. I really recommend everyone listening to follow an account on Instagram called Your Fat Friend, but it's spelled Y-R Fat Friend. And they are a fat uh, activist and writer and they write about the fat experience and what that entails they're really brilliant at starting conversations and getting people to open up about their experiences and when you see how people have been treated in a doctor's in, in, in you know in a hospital environment in the doctor's office um it's really hard when you hear people you know celebrated weight loss but actually that was a symptom of a cancer diagnosis that was missed because they were the doctor was really happy about a weight lo- about weight loss as an mm. example um and things like that it's it's really heartbreaking so i think shaming of any kind is awful um and i think 
instead we really need to focus on making people feel included welcome in spaces and i think wellness as a whole can get pretty like elitist and can feel pretty like middle class and i think like white and middle class and i think we need to make that you need we need to filter it down to people in the kind of lower um socioeconomic um classes because those poorer people they're the people who are missing out on all this stuff and totally. simply just by their wage and stuff they're the people who aren't having access to this it's really interesting i don't know if you knew this but there's a there's roughly like um almost like a 10 to 20 year projected lifespan for people living in different postcodes so if you live in one of the poorest postcodes in the country you are going to live 20 years less than someone living in the most expensive postcodes wow. um so it's really interesting that um one of the biggest disparities in health is not our size it is you know our socioeconomic status and we need to pay more attention to that and i think people don't take that into consideration things online particularly get it, it can be quite simplistic you know eat less move more do this do that and that will be everything solved but health and weight there are way more factors than i'm even touching on there are so many social determinants of health that we haven't got a chance to chat about today but there are so many things that play into these things that um your average personal trainer on instagram or facebook isn't quite getting the nuance of and therefore that's where the shaming's coming about i think yeah it's not as simple as a calorie deficit i mean you you have people who may be in a larger body because they've had trauma and their yeah. body is keeping yeah. them bigger yeah. because it's a protection mechanism yeah. a lot of people don't you know even realize that yeah. or like you said poorer socioeconomic status maybe they've got 20 pounds to feed their whole family mm -hmm. you know maybe the mcdonald's meal is it's so the they can send their, skid, their kids to mm. school you know and they or, don't have money for a gym membership they don't have time you know they're what you've got single mums potentially working two jobs to try and feed kids they don't have time to work out they don't have time to they're just everyone's just trying their best with what they have and unfortunately a lot of people don't have much to work with in the beginning which you know that's we're looking more into um, the political side of it, but there, there is a, a, a huge political side to this. And ultimately yeah, it's about spreading out that access and like I said, making this stuff more accessible and more achievable for people. Because right now, I mean, I grew up on a council estate and you know, no one was interested in this stuff where I lived, but I've moved to London and everyone's fascinated by whole foods and we love going to planet organic i mean i'm one of those people but i've also lived in the life of the other side of stuff so i get both sides of of that um experience and being here in london for five years and not being in that same situation you have to remind yourself that not everyone has the access that you do and you know we have to be mindful of that absolutely absolutely it's it's probably good that you and i are talking about this because we're two two white women very mm. privileged mm. able-bodied and i think it's important that we have this conversation and not just people who are marginalized mm -hmm. because it's important that we all hear it it's not just up to the marginalized groups to share the message exactly that and i think we can't look to people you know i think it's important that we listen to marginalized and oppressed people's experiences and what they what they want to say but we also need to like like we said that this problem right now is a, a privileged problem in the sense that you're right we need to be having these discussions these uncomfortable discussions where we acknowledge that you know we have privilege to live the life we live and um you know to have access and opportunity where others don't and i think it's really important that we discuss that I see, 
exactly that. My job is to listen to those people and realize how can I use my privilege to open doors for other people. And it's interesting, I heard someone say the other day, it's not necessarily about making room for everyone at the table. It's, that's part of it, but it's making sure that, that, that everyone is included in building the table and building the chairs. And I thought that was really interesting. And I mm. think ultimately that's where we need to go, particularly within the fitness. I mean, it's the where we need to go as a whole, but in the fitness space, especially. Definitely. So switching gears for a second, let's talk about body positivity versus body confidence. There is a difference. Mm. I think we know the difference, but we're right like in that industry, mm -hmm. in that conversation a lot. A lot of people don't because there's a lot of influencers who are unintentionally using the term body positivity and they, I think they don't know that they might be using it mistakenly um, with good intentions, I'm sure, but there's a difference, right? Yeah. And I see, I've, once again, I think a lot of the misuse of body positivity is because body positivity got picked up um, in a marketing sense. And then it started to be a, a new way to market products, a new way to market things. And it's become the new thing is to have, you know, a body positive campaign for your brand, for your products. And so the people who are like, oh yeah, I love body positivity. I love seeing different bodies and different things. And, you know, I want to see all, all sorts of bodies and I, I want to love myself and, you know, you know, let's all love ourselves. That's what body positivity has kind of been filtered down to. But originally it started and it was born out of what is the fat acceptance movement in the 60s. And that, you know, was queer, black, Jewish women or, you know, people identifying as women fighting for acceptance of their bodies and fighting for liberation ultimately. And body positivity has kind of had a resurgence, um, you know, in the last 10 years as like blogging has become more popular and people have found these communities of, you know, people, and it's particularly meant to be representative of fat people. And I, I always use fat in a neutral term as a descriptor, you know, I don't use it as an insult. So um, I, that's how I'm using it as a descriptive word. But fat people and people of color, particularly, um, it is meant to be a community for those people to, to feel seen, feel heard, feel safe, and feel that they can they can express themselves and that may be expressing positivity towards their body, but really it's about um, advocating for those people and, you know, coming together to have a voice. And so that's where that community is born out of. And there are various other communities, but let's stick to body confidence and body positivity. <laughs> and then you've got um, body confidence, which I think is what people want body positivity to be. And body confidence is about feeling good in your body, feeling good in your skin. It is about, learning to love your body but really that needs we need to respect that body positivity is for these you know fat people and fat people of color and we need to you know talk about body confidence i think particularly if you're in a more privileged body um you know in a thin white body in particular body confidence is really what we're talking about when we're talking about body positivity i think it's just being a bit confused and you know once again like no judgment for doing that because i think it had the lines have become so blurred um but i think it's just going forward it's just acknowledging that this is body confidence and body positivity um is is a community for these people and you can be an ally for that and you can respect that and support it like i fully support it i just don't center myself in it and so i just want to make sure i'm respecting that their boundaries um but yeah it's an it's, a, it's an interesting one but i do think you know, as we said, like media and advertising has really exacerbated the problem. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Sometimes I see uh, arguments going on in Instagram comments, you know, mm. and people from the body positivity movement will be arguing with 
you know, white, able-bodied women, and they're saying, you don't get to decide yeah. if it offends us or not, because yeah. this is our movement. This is our very small like mm. sliver of the internet. Mm. This is our small area. This is where we get the microphone. Yeah, exactly. Don't center yourself in the argument. Because you know? we all fit, we, everybody, no matter what size, shape, you know, able, disabled, you know, gender, race, everyone's going to feel crap about their body. Everyone's going to feel, they're going to feel uncomfortable in their own skin. And they may, you know, you could be any size and hate your body. You can be any size and not feel worthy. But we don't experience we may feel self-hatred, but we might not feel hatred from the world around us. And what people in larger bodies experience is what we talked about weight stigma earlier, is that abuse and hatred and the world telling them they are wrong and they, you know, they don't feel like they are a part of it. They don't feel accepted. And so creating the body positivity community, creating that fat acceptance space was about, you know, having a place that was safe and that they felt they belonged whereas they felt like they didn't belong in other places. And I really recommend to know more about body positivity because as a thin white woman, like I said, I'm not the voice of body positivity. Uh, Megan Jane Crabb, um, Body Positive uh, Panda, has written a book called Body Positive Power and she's your number one resource. Um, and then you've got um, brilliant people like... Um, Stephanie Yaboa, who was formerly nerd about town, but I believe she's just changed her names um, <laughs> and people like that. Um, and I think it's really interesting. And if you want to know more about kind of the fat acceptance stuff, I, I recommend Sophie Hagen, who also has a book out and the name's completely escaped me of the book, but Sophie Hagen is a comedian and she talks a lot about this stuff. Amazing. Awesome. So we live in a world that is obsessed with aesthetics obsessed with not being fat, obsessed with what the outside looks like before and after pictures going viral everywhere. Mm -hmm. They get a lot of engagement, which is why people do that. Again, yeah. you know, capitalizing on diet culture. Mm -hmm. So in this world that we live in, that's all about that before and after, what has been some of the, I guess, amazing non-aesthetic transformations that you've seen as a trainer, maybe mental transformations in yourself and in your clients? I always think the best transformation in clients and people, you know, I've worked with is that confidence and seeing people come in, you know, feeling like, oh, I can't do this. I feel really uncomfortable in this environment. I feel, you know, I'm nervous. I, I'm not sure of myself and see them finding strength and purpose and that kind of power in that fitness space and seeing how they use that. And, and I think for me, it's really been a journey of self-discovery and the biggest before and after for me really is me trying to please everyone else in that before, you know, not in a picture, but in that kind of mental before is like me trying to fit a mold of what people want me to be and what I think people want me to be. And the after is me accepting myself as I am and knowing that that is okay. And I, that's good enough. And that I don't have to fit someone else's mold I can create my own. And I think that's the biggest before and after, but you're right. Like before and afters on social media are rife because there it's what sells the imagery sells. It's, you know, it's exciting. It's, it's showing us, Oh, this could be possible. This could be done. They did it. I could do it. Um, and there was this really interesting research that came out and I wrote about this in my book about, uh, well, it's actually a study about, um, people reporting weight loss, in the Amazon, in the comments on, of Amazon about their reported weight loss. And it was interesting that basically the people who rated the book the highest had the most extreme 
weight loss. And those are the people that spoke out the most about advocating for this book and recommending this book and shouted the loudest, basically. But they looked at how many people reported this extreme weight loss in the comments versus how, what people actually experienced doing this diet in this book. Um, and the result, there was like a sheer gap between the people who reported, you know, drastic weight loss results and in comparison to what was the reality. And the reality was that people really didn't lose much weight, if at all. And the people that shouted the loudest had had the most supposedly extreme outcomes. And I think the same can be said for before and after pictures. We're seeing cherry-picked people who, who are shouting the loudest, who are showing the loudest, who are showing their supposed success. But for that one person's success, there may be 50 other failures that we never see, but we just don't see them. But we see these before and after pictures the most. And I think that's really prevalent um, on huge fitness accounts who build their, their on, you know, they sell online programs and, and they're building their business off of before and after photos and then they share people in their communities before and after photos. But I can guarantee that for every before and after photo they share in that week, there's, like I said, there's going to be 50 people who didn't have the outcome, who their body might not have changed. So bear that in mind, think critically that you're seeing the unicorn of the pack you're seeing that anomaly. Um, and actually for most people that, if you're in the position where you feel like, why am I not getting this? Maybe I need to be more extreme. You don't need to be more extreme. Just remember that those outcomes aren't necessarily um, meant for everyone. Yeah. And again, it's like, you may not be seeing the full picture. You might not be seeing that that girl lost her period from losing all that weight, yes. which is hugely detrimental. Mm -hmm. You might not be seeing the fact that she doesn't see her husband because she's getting up at 4 a.m. to train every day. Yeah. You, know, you might not see the fact that she's skipping dinners with all her friends and has no joy or social life anymore. So I think it's like really important to, like you said, take everything mm. with a, a big pinch, pinch of salt. salt. <laughs> exactly. And I, yeah, you're so right as well because um, I also talk about this in my book. I have a whole section on before and after photos actually. And Amazing. kind of my thoughts about them. And I'm quite harsh well not harsh I'm just direct I'm quite Honest. clear in my opinion yeah and I talk about that and I, I say exactly that you know we don't know what happens behind the scenes for these people and for me I shared before and after photos of myself online but I can tell you now that after photo meant disordered eating it meant um, disordered exercise it meant a worse um, relationship with my body and a worsened body image um, and it meant that I had to revolve my life around achieving that goal rather than you know food and fitness being a part of my life as it should be rather than everything revolving around that so you're right we do not know what goes into the after photo but we want to think that it's easy um, but I think for most people it's, it's not that simple. Yeah, for sure. And I think, again, that sort of applies to complimenting people on weight loss. Like, you don't know why they've lost weight. Yeah. Just don't compliment people on their bodies, period. Yeah. And yeah. I saw a post just on Instagram about pregnancy and how, and it's really interesting because um, my boyfriend's sister's pregnant right now. And I had to really check myself and make sure that I'm using, you know, I'm talking to her in the best way. And it was saying, you know, weight neutral language around a pregnant woman might be like, you know, that's like, wow, you're huge. Or like, how long have you got to go? You're massive. Or you look ready to pop. Don't use that kind of language and just say like, oh, I'm really excited to meet the baby. How are you feeling? And not making it body centered, but we're so, you know, me included, like we're so programmed to like go body first and say like, oh, you look really good. I'm really learning to compliment people on you know an attribute about them rather than being like oh my goodness you have the best makeup or you know I want to be like do you know what? you have the warmest energy and you make me feel really good and I think that's 
I hope that's where we like shift to rather and it takes that pressure away like you said to conform to that that beauty standard totally and it's so ingrained as well it's like even sometimes I'm catching myself as well using mm. certain language around people making sure that I'm complimenting them on who they are rather yeah. than like oh this thing looks good about you and it's hard and I want to say like I'm we're both human and I have to you know I saw that post yesterday about the pregnancy thing and I thought I've definitely said oh you know like spoken about her bump and you know and I'm like don't do that next time don't do that next time but you learn you you know how can we learn anything without making mistakes yeah absolutely so your book comes out January is it? January 2nd and for me it's really an antidote to you know a diet culture based fitness book of which most are. Um, I don't think there's a book like this, which is really exciting. Um, and it's really about learning to enjoy exercise and learning to find fun in fitness and in that process, building the connection with your body so that you know what feels good in your body. You know what you actually enjoy doing, you know, how much exercise you like to do, when you want to stop, when you want to go. Um, and at the end, you've also got a workout plan. So there is a kind of 10 week plan in there as well, which is exciting, but really it's about getting to that point where you're on really good terms with fitness and it no longer feels like a punishment. It no longer feels like a chore and something you should do or have to do, but something you want to do because you know, um, it's a, like I said, it, it supports your mental health as an example. Um, and it makes you feel good and it keeps you energized for the day and all those wonderful things. But fitness has become so entwined in diet culture, as we've discussed in this podcast, that there's a lot of disentangling to do. So the book is basically, a, you know, a, a kind of work through of disentangling all the stuff. There's a whole section on body image. Um, we talk about what a normal relationship with food looks like. And then there's like a big section on a positive relationship with fitness. And yeah, it's really exciting that there's going to be something totally different out there. But Amazing. also, yeah, but it's, I mean, it's terrifying because like with anything, it's going to, it's, it's like, like I said, it's just going to be out there, but I'm really excited for people to have it. Amazing. And it's called Train Happy. Train Happy, an intuitive plan for everybody. And it's going to be, um, yeah, it's going to be great. I think I want people to open the book and see people that look like them. So we have different models doing the workout guide of different shapes and sizes and backgrounds. And we've got like sketches on the cover and stuff. So I, I think um, in terms of the fitness space, it's, it's something a bit different. And I really hope it resonates with people. Sounds refreshing. Yeah, yeah. That's what I want it to be. Refreshing, different. For sure, for sure. And, you know, with that foundation, then hopefully people can have that great relationship with fitness because you know we touched on privilege it's a privilege to be mm. able to exercise it really is it's a privilege to move your body and be yeah. able to move your body um yeah. and to, you know it's important to not take that for granted totally you realize that when you like roll your ankle or something mm. and you go oh my god I, I pulled my neck the other day just before I was going to hen's party and I was running the whole thing <gasps> And I went still, but I realized it was, I couldn't even nod at people yeah. know, and do my normal facial expressions. And you realize like your body enables you to do so mm. many beautiful things in your life, mm. but we, we give it so much shit and we, we, we punish it and we yes. focus on what it looks like. But with, you know, any relationship in our life, you don't care what your mum looks like or yeah. what your friends look like. If you do, that's an issue, but mm. you care about how they make you feel and like what, you know, what you do for each other. And it's the same for our body. So hopefully that's going to help people to really rebuild that relationship with their own body as well. I hope so. I, I think it's the book I wish I had five years ago. 
So I really hope that um, people get that from it for sure. And I was at an event last night of watching another podcast we recorded and one of the speakers, Callie Thorpe said, I don't want to be remembered for what my body looks like when I, you know, when all is said and done, I want to be remembered for who I am and how I made other people feel. And that is what I want to be my impact and not what I look like. And I think that's probably the biggest take home of, of all of this. Amazing. Awesome. So until Train Happy comes out, how can our listeners who are intimidated by the gym or who want to start moving towards a healthier relationship with fitness how can they start to train happy themselves well i think it's all about um taking the pressure off of thinking you've got to do this um and it's all about starting to think about what you like doing and what feels good for you and when you start to feel that kind of little voice on your shoulder saying like oh you should go and do cardio oh you haven't done this you haven't done that ask yourself, is that voice diet culture? Is that voice, it's not my voice, whose voice is it? And where are those thoughts coming from? And why am I feeling guilty about doing this or not? You know, where's that coming from? Um, I think that's the the kind of number one thing. Um, and then in a more practical sense, um, I have a, a Facebook group, um, called the Train Happy Facebook group. And in that I'm sharing resources and podcasts and articles and, um, you know, ways and we're going to do challenges so that people can start to take those steps to think about how they feel um, about fitness and, and finding what makes them feel good. Um, so you can find that on Facebook and then I'll link it in the show notes. Amazing. Can anyone join? Anyone can join. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the more the merrier. Um, and also I'm on Instagram as well at Tally Rye discussing all this stuff as well and, and, and kind of asking questions um, so yesterday I asked the question, you know, do we feel good when we're doing a workout that we hate and we're like resenting every single second, but we feel good afterwards? Why do we feel good afterwards? Is it because, you know, we achieve something? Is it because the endorphins are kicking in or is it because we feel less guilty about eating food and feel like we have earned food or burned calories and therefore we feel like we have permission to live our lives? What? why um do we feel good um and i think the answer will differ for everyone but it's been really interesting to see everyone's honest responses to that question so if you want to have more of those questions i like to ask those kind of questions because it's all about really self-reflection rather than me forcing people to think and feel a certain way it's really about discovering the stuff on your own terms amazing awesome breaking up the perfect feed <laughs> uh, yeah well i hope so um i think you know instagram has become very image focus and I'm trying to post almost less of me and more content so that I don't want people to think they have to be me or aspire to me I want people to just realize that my page is about helping them to elevate themselves and to help them work on them rather than to think oh wow she lives a great life and does great things you know I think I want it to to feel more more for my audience rather than about me purely about me amazing Again, refreshing. So where can people find out more about you? So I think Instagram is probably the best place, at Tally Rye. And then from there, you can find links to the Facebook group, to my YouTube channel, to my website, all these kind of things. And Train Happy can be pre-ordered on uh, Instagram, on Amazon today. Um, yeah, awesome. it's out there. Cool. Thank you so much. It's been amazing to talk to you. So valuable. Thank you so much for your wisdom. Thank you. It's been an absolute honor.